What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. All right, welcome Chiefs' kingdom to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast here on a Victory Monday slash Tuesday. I'm Matt Sagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. As always, Ron, how did you feel about Monday night's victory. What a weird game, man! I you come out of that game not really feeling what to, to think about the, the 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 comeback win. They're down seventeen in the first half. You know, Raiders fans feeling mighty good, and then you know you see the 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 first half end the way it does with the Arrowhead crowd. You know, having to be restrained from going at Carl Sheffer's throat uh, after that rough in the passer call, but. You know, it it, it was fun to see uh, the Chiefs come back. You know, they haven't really had that kind of comeback game this year yet. And it was good to see the Raiders lose like that, right, Sags? It was, it was fun to see the Raiders kind of lose the way they did. It, it, it was a fun time at the end of the game, that last play. Couldn't have happened to a better team. <laughs> yeah, one of the themes for me of last night's game or, or Monday night's game, depending on when you're listening to this, is it was sort of an almost game for a lot of the Chiefs players. So there was just kind of going down the line, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, had a couple of great catches and runs, had one catch hit his – or one that should have been a catch hit his helmet uh, where he just didn't turn around, I guess. Um, and then even when he was trying to run the ball, there was a couple of carries where I thought he had a chance to really break away and just got just got tripped up at the last second. Uh, not a very effective night for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, but it was for for another guy in the, in the backfield that really made a difference. Yeah, no, for real. The, the the first kind of turning point of this game, you know, the first time where it was kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, there's always that one play in the comeback that the crowd kind of gets excited and all of a sudden you feel the juice back. And it was the, the Jarek McKinnon 30-yard run in the second quarter. And uh, it, it's funny because that, you, that play call on second and 17 is usually one – it's an Andy special, right? He, he goes to those he, – he has those mind-numbing run calls on second and 10 or, or more. A lot of times, and, and it drives me crazy because um, obviously you're just settling for third down there. And what do you know, Stags? It's the play that turns the game. He goes 30 yards. You know, Sky Moore has a great block on the play. Orlando Brown leads him down the field. And obviously he has a great effort on that play, you know, running through tackles and continuing to go. It really was what sparked the, the, the play uh, or the, you know, the comeback. Um, the next play actually had a nine-yard run too. So I know you mentioned that, yeah, Clyde didn't have the greatest game, but Man, the the run game, you know, did you know did what it was supposed to do in that moment. You know, got a got a chunk play and and kind of set the offense up to kind of get it going from there. So that was really the turning point. And and it's funny enough, it comes on, you know, a play call that usually would it would have me pulling my hair out um, in any other situation. Yeah, it wasn't the most effective overall running uh, performance by the offense or or by the defense for that matter. But it was interesting to see after last week we thought the duo of Pacheco and yeah. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was, was set and, and they were going to keep rolling with these two guys. All of a sudden, Pacheco gets one carry for no yards. Uh, you know, Clyde leads the team in carries, but only with nine. And McKinnon was really the, the featured guy. Uh, I haven't seen the snap counts yet, but I imagine McKinnon really uh, increased his snap count over last week. Yeah, and and you know the thing is, it, it was playoff Jarek. It was it was the guy that we all got excited about in the playoffs because he looked like this perfect blend. And I tweeted this last night, but this perfect blend of the shiftiness you want in your running backs, right? The, the guy that can kind of make a dude miss or just kind of move side to side pretty quickly, but also a good combination of that and the downhill explosiveness, right? I think that was why we liked McKinnon in the playoffs last year, and that's what you saw on that thirty yard run, on the nine yard run, uh, you know, right after that. And you know what I liked about it too was was it really it, it really took advantage of, of what we saw 
was really the flaw of the Chiefs, uh, you know, offense right out the gate was, you know, the uh, protecting Mahomes, or I, I guess I should say, you know, uh, defending the edge rushers on the edge, uh, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Um, you know, that play took advantage. The, the, the two plays went right at Chandler Jones on that, on those plays and, uh, get, you know, got two big chunk runs out of it. So that was kind of the thing I liked about it too, was it, it kind of set the tone. Like, look, you know, you guys have been beating us so far this game, you know, let's run right at him. Let's kind of, you know, maybe settle you down a little bit, make you worry about the run a little more. And all of a sudden from that point on, it did, the edge rushers didn't seem to have that much of a presence in the game as they did those first three or four drives. Speaking of edge rushers, I thought it was almost a great game for uh, some of the Chiefs pass rushers like George Karloftis and, and Frank Clark. Uh, both met at the quarterback. George got his first half sack of his NFL career. Yeah. And he had some other pressures as well. And and Derek Carr tried but failed to be Patrick Mahomes under pressure mm-hmm. whenever George was was chasing him down. There was a couple of plays where he tried to make something happen, tried to fling the ball out there, and there was just absolutely nobody home. Wasn't anywhere near a receiver. So I thought Karloftis had a pretty good game, uh, really just making the quarterback uncomfortable forced some ugly throws and, and uh, uh, you know, was, was active there. It wasn't a, it was almost a big game. He almost had a couple of uh, uh, a couple of other sacks, but uh, Hey, he, he got on the board and uh, was part of the reason that the, that car was, was not as comfortable as he could have been. Well, the pass rush in general, general had a, had its moments, right? It had its, its, its plays where it really made huge impacts. Um, obviously that play you just mentioned Frank Clark and Karloftis getting to the quarterback early in the game kind of set the Raiders behind the sticks. And then also, you know, I, I mentioned it off the top, but you know, Spags really dialed it up on that one third down late in the first half and gets Chris Jones beating the right tackle on an edge rush, getting to, to getting the car and forcing the fumble. And then there's the roughing the passer penalty, which is just, you know, mind numbing that they're calling that, you know, an egregious call. Um, after, even after we're seeing the Brady, Grady, Jarrett situation, um, you know, from, from earlier this week, but you know, we, we saw Carl Cheffers, you know, re- reference the body weight part of it. And, and, and we've, we've, we've heard that, right. We hear that about these roughing the passer calls, but man, you know, Chris Jones has the intent to not you know, land on it. He puts his arm out trying to brace himself a little bit. You know, he's going for the ball obviously because he's, he strips the ball as soon as he makes contact with Carr. Man, just an overall really, really, uh, you know, annoying play, frustrating play. And, and Andy was obviously frustrated. He stayed after the end of the second quarter to, to, to you know, let the refs know about it. Um, but it does take away, you know, it's unfortunate because it takes away because of, uh, it takes away from Spags's you know, effectiveness on that play. He really dialed it up there. It was actually a four safety set, three down lineman. Karloftis was rushing from the inside. Uh, Jones was on the outside. And it worked. It was a game-changing play. They were going to have the ball inside Raiders territory, down 10. Um, at that moment, I think they or they were down seven at that moment. I think it was seventeen ten at that moment, or seventeen seven. So they were down ten. Excuse me. I'm you know it's 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 uh you know the morning after, so we're we're going through it here. But uh, but no, it's just the pass rush had its moments, and and it sucks that one of its biggest moments got taken away by a dumb penalty. What did you? How did you react to that that call, Sags? Were you hooting yeah. and hollering like the people in Arrowhead? <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It was really one of the worst calls in in Chiefs history, and you can put put this one right up there with the forward progress call against uh, Derek Johnson, uh, you know, and there's been some bad ones, but this, this was as bad as any, as I've seen, you know, we could all see and, and everybody in the stadium could see that. First of all, this is what a typical sack has looked like over the last 30 years in the NFL. This you sack the quarterback. That's what it right. looked like. And even with the heightened focus on these rules, you're right. Jones made an effort to put an arm down, uh, tried not to put his full body weight on, on Carr. There was nothing brutal or vicious about this hit at all. And the fact that, you know, he was Jones was able to pull the ball away from him. That was a turnover. It turned into three points for the for the Raiders and, and kept it as a uh, as a much bigger lead than than it should have been at that point. That was a big call. And if that had cost them the game, if the if the Chiefs had, had come up three points short um, on Monday night, then that would be one of those things that's going to be able to take a long time for, for Chiefs fans to get over. I get over things pretty quick when they win, and I think right. that's probably true for a lot of Chiefs fans, but that was egregious. Yeah, and I think it's the same way with the players, right? You know, Jones had a really elegant um, statement about the, the, the foul in the locker or in the locker room post game. Um, I was really impressed with what he was talking about just in terms of kind of laying it out how 
why can't this be reviewable? Why can't they take this to the booth and say, look, you can see him clearly trying to put his arm down. You can see him not forcing the body weight. You can see him, you know, not intentionally trying to slam car into the ground more than he does as a 300 pound person naturally playing the sport of football. So I, I do, I did, I did like how uh, Jones was, you know, pretty uh, calm and collected about his comments after the game. I think that was a pretty cool move rather than just dogging the refs or saying, Oh, what a blown call. You know, it, it, it you know, I, I wish, you know, just kind of being more positive than negative, kind of finding talking about a solution rather than the problem. Um, so I like that part of it, but it just it, it really was annoying. Um, and that's not only because I had a player prop that Chris Jones would get a sack last night. Uh, that, that's not the only reason why it was annoying to me. But uh, no, I, I do think Arrowhead had a right to, to be on Sheffer's throat there. I, and, and Andy did, too. But, you know, it, it, like you mentioned, man, it, it feels a lot better when they pull out a win. Yeah. Some other things I found interesting in the game, uh, Sky Moore was not involved in the first half, but when the game was on the line, the, the Chiefs showed some trust in him that was maybe a little bit surprising. So not only was he still the punt returner all, all game, they didn't, he only had one chance to return a punt, but at the end of the game on the Raiders' final score, he was the kick returner on that play. And then came right in and, and caught two passes on that on that final drive for the Chiefs. It's really interesting to see them go to him in such key moments. Again, you fans would have been worried about Sky Moore as a punt returner just catching the ball a couple of weeks ago, right? <laughs> now they're giving him both the punt and the kick return at the end of the game with a with the game clearly on the line and and receiver duties you know, as the featured guy on the final drive where the Chiefs are trying to ice this thing. Really uh, interesting to see him earning, seemingly earn the trust of the coaching staff, uh, at least for that drive. I'll be curious to see if that trust continues, if this is a trend, or if that was just a, uh, a strange play call at the end of the game. Right, yeah. I, I did find it strange that, you know, they, they almost forced him the ball at the end of the game um, when they when they really needed that drive to end the game. Right. That was, you, you know, it's it's a really important drive to get move the sticks on that drive. And man, it's just funny that, you know, you don't see him all game and all of a sudden they go to him there. But it does. You're right. It does speak to their confidence that, hey, he's going to catch the ball. He's going to get upfield. He may break some tackles as he gets upfield. And, and, and that is one thing, man. You, you notice that juice, that little bit of a you know, we, we kind of joked about it in training camp. He has those running back legs. Andy Reid talked about it. He does have a little bit of that running back style when he has the ball in his hands. And, you know, maybe that's what they wanted to utilize. And that's in that moment, right? You know, someone that's going to get the most yardage out of his out of the catch um, because maybe they just didn't feel good about, hey, let's just run up the middle three times, right? They're not going to do that. So it was just an extension of, of running the ball there. So so it was yeah. good to see them trust Scott. They had no success trying to run the ball there and, and would have been really nice to have a couple of solid runs to run that clock out, but, you know, Clyde gets tripped up for no gain. Um, and then, you know, and he, had, he did have an eight yard run in, on that drive, but for the most part, you know, they, they kept throwing the ball and, and on one hand, you want to see him stay aggressive and, and go for the juggler there, at least get some additional points on the board so that if the Raiders got the ball back, it wasn't a field goal for the win. Um, but uh it, it didn't play out that way, but it was interesting. I mean, all the passes on that drive were Sky Moore and, and that one uh, deep pass incomplete to, to uh, McCall Hardman. Yeah, and, and so maybe that's a, a good place to talk about the game management um, part of this because I do think there was maybe a question, and, and, I, and I questioned it. Um, you know, Andy not going for that fourth down, um, you know, obviously near mi midfield, you know, with roughly, what, two minutes to go, I want to say. Uh, two minutes to go in the game, a little more than two minutes. Um, not going for the fourth down, electing to punt, give the Raiders back the ball. And, and the key part of this, I think, is that, you know, it wasn't a field goal to tie. It wasn't that they needed to score a touchdown. A field goal won the game for the Raiders, and Andy put the ball back in their hands without trying the fourth down. I, I, I have mixed feelings about this, honestly, because I, I, I see kind of both sides of, of the decision. So I'm curious your thoughts when you saw Andy not go for it on fourth down, are you agreeing with it? Are you kind of like, let's trust Mahomes? And you know, I think that's the easy answer, but what do you think in, th in that moment? So it was fourth and three at the 46, right? So if you go for it and don't get it, obviously they have the ball at midfield. It, it is a, not a tall task to get into field goal range for, for them at that point. I could see why they did it. 
Uh, they got the ball down to the seven with the, with a good punt. Um, and so if you can pin them inside the 10 in that situation, I, you know, I definitely feel better about that. I would have liked to have seen them obviously have more success on the offensive drive and not have to worry about that part. But, uh, um, you know, in that moment, yeah, I think I probably would have punted it too, uh, just because, just because of the field position. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, you know, at first I I, I kind of said, well, look, if a field goal wins it, then you want to be aggressive because you don't want to just give them you're, – you're handing them the opportunity to win it. But at the same time, with how much time was left, they had so much time to operate on that drive. And if you give them the ball at midfield, you know, that gives them just such an easy way to navigate, you know, kind of take their time with the clock, you know, do what they want to do. So I, I think I'm with these stags. I think, I think punting was the right call there. But – I don't know. You know, you, you always want to trust Mahomes in those situations. Um, and it's not like the defense yeah. was getting many stops um, necessarily, uh, right. you know, in that moment. So, yeah, you, you can just imagine one deep pass to Devonte Adams, who had it, who Ooh. either is going to make that catch or get a pass interference call uh, based on the way that game had gone. And and, you know, they've got an easy shot to win the game. You know, you look at the end of the first half and the Chiefs took over with 17 seconds left. And still got into field goal range and 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 made the longest kick in Chiefs history uh, for for uh, Matthew Wright. Uh, really fascinating to see uh, his success on that kick and complete failure on, on the one before it. So um, it is a, a certainly an up and down game for the Chiefs backup kicker. Uh, hopefully that is a um, the last uh, the last time the Chiefs have to go with a backup kicker for a while. Well, I mean, that's the, the problem is that if they have to go any further, are they going to cycle through another one? Because, yes, he had the 59-yard field goal, but he, he he misses the one you mentioned. He has the extra point that clanks off the left upright. And then he also misses a field goal late in the game that gets negated by a defensive holding penalty. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is kind of funny. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see if they, you know, if they make another move, are they going to bring in another kicker? Um, you know, I, you know I, I think 59-yard field goal gives you some – you know, leeway, but that's not the most important part of, of what they need in a kicker right now. They need a guy to make extra points in, in the chip shots. So, yeah, I saw somebody on Twitter say just let uh, Justin Reed kick the short ones and give right the, the 50 yard plus. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't hate that. <laughs> the kickers are on the on the street for a reason, right? I mean, I, I, exactly. I think if you're a really consistent kicker, you probably have a job. So, you know, I, I think I think it's really just let's get Butker's ankle right and hopefully. I mean, it's been long enough now that unless that was a serious high ankle sprain, that he should be he should be close to being back. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully Butker's back this week. I know we had a question about that. Uh, when will Butker be back? That was from Patrick Mahomes' zone. Um, the hope is this week. I, I had hoped for it last week. I thought there was a decent chance he played. It sounds like when he tried it out in practice, there was more pain uh, than than what uh, they were comfortable with. So they rested it an extra week. So. Yeah. Um, speaking of others with opportunities late in the game, did you notice who was covering Devontae Adams on the play that really ended the game? The play where he collided with Hunter Renfro and there was uh, a, not a, uh, a chance for them to complete a pass. In press coverage against Devontae Adams with the game on the line, the Chiefs trot out who? Rashad Fenton? Nope. <laughs> Jalen Watson? Nope, not him either. <laughs> Fellow rookie Joshua Williams, who hasn't played basically all season, no. gets put in on the best receiver in the league, arguably in the biggest snap of the game, and said, and they said, go ahead and man him up. And and something good happened. So is this the first of uh, of, of many plays that we'll see Williams make in the future? Well, what was he doing in at the end of the game on that play? Good eye, Stags. I really did not notice this until you mentioned it as we were prepping for the show. Um, I'm, I really want to know. I, I hope someone asks Andy about that this week or Spags about that later this week when we hear from him. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see their mindset there. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Joshua Williams has not played any significant staffs. I think he might have played in the Arizona game late, you know, in that blowout. Um, but what a moment for the rookie. And, and you know, I hate to say it, but you know, Rashad Fenton, someone that definitely did not have a great game, um, you know, got burned on the on the first touchdown by Devontae Adams. And, and you know, it's it's not something it's not it's it's something that we've seen throughout this year on Fenton. 
you know, maybe Spags really just, you know, really did not feel good about leaving Fenton in there on, in that moment. Um, and, and, and maybe that's what you saw from that. So that's why I really want to know the thought process there, because, you know, I imagine we would have known maybe if someone was hurt and that's why Williams was in there and maybe someone was for one play and it happened to be the most important play, but that is quite the moment to trust Joshua Williams uh, right there. And, and so I'm really curious to see why that was, but, but good eye. Cause and if, yeah. if they like that matchup, why didn't they do that more earlier in the game? You know, I, I think you had to know coming into this game that it was going to be difficult to man up uh, on, you know, Devontae Adams. And this week, the coaches were asked about it. And Spagnuolo specifically said, yeah, Rashad Fenton's going to get a, going to have a big opportunity here, a big test. So they knew that it was going to be Fenton on Adams, at least for, for some substantial part of the game. Uh, and that was a matchup that they were okay with. And that obviously went very poorly, but it's just interesting to me that you wouldn't scout this game in advance and say, hey, maybe we just need to put a big press coverage guy on there, give him some safety help, and and uh, you know make somebody else beat you, as opposed to you know trusting Rashad Fenton, who frankly has not had a good season. Yeah. You can say that he had a rough game, but he's had a rough season. And yeah, I mentioned you know, that. Sure, he's the veteran in the room, but um, you know it's just interesting. I, you see that matchup on that play in that moment. If that was a spur of the moment decision, where hey, nobody else is getting it done, let's. Let's throw something at him they're not expecting, you know, and press him here and, and make sure that he can't get a clean release. And that's your best guy to, to get that job done. Great. Um, it's, an, it's a fascinating defensive call. If it was something that they should have known ahead of time and maybe made part of their game plan, you know, that, that's, a, that's a different story. No, I hear you. He's, he's back in a tough you know, a spot right now with, with how he has to manage his cornerbacks. I mean, you're right. Fenton is not playing well this year, and but he is the veteran. And so there's some sort of benefit of the doubt that goes into that. I think, you know, Fenton has been, a, is, is a drafted in 2019. His whole career has been with Spags. Spags has developed him. His first year here was 2019. And so I do think there's that trust that he wants to have for, with Fenton. Right. And, and, and I do think, you know, as the season goes, if Fenton continues to, you know, to mess up, I think this might've been a little bit of a, a, a glimpse into maybe Spags, you know, understanding that and correcting that on the fly. I will say, I, you know, just to give Fenton a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of, you know, um, slack, I guess, uh, just on that Adams touchdown, the first one, I just, you got to give the Raiders a lot of credits fourth and one, you know, they really sell out on the run action. It's a, it's a heavy personnel. The chiefs all cl- crowd the box, no safety help over the top. They really don't expect that to be a pass, and and you know, and and I don't think no, I don't think any of them wanted Fenton to be one on one and you know by himself with Adams in coverage. But I think they kind of just caught the Chiefs in kind of a you know a play call, kind of banking on that to be a run, right? I think that was really the Chiefs' defense on that, and so that's where you can maybe give Spags a little a uh, little crap, you know? Hey, maybe you never, you know, just don't even try. You know, it's not stopping that run is not as important as making sure Adams doesn't you know get by Fenton. But at the same time. You know, I think Spags did a lot of good things in this game to, to help the defense. I think the players could have executed a little more to help in, in some instances, just like those times with Adams. But you're right. I, I do think the cornerback group right now, when they get McDuffie back, I'm really interested to see. And, and he can be eligible this week against Buffalo. I'm really interested to see if Fenton goes all the way back to the all the way down to the bench. I mean, it, it could happen. Speaking of execution, especially in the secondary, I thought there were some tackling issues this week. Yeah, I I noticed Juan Thornhill miss a couple because I think they were fairly impactful tackles. I know there were other guys as well that just frankly didn't tackle as well as we've seen so far this season. I don't know if that was an effort thing or, you know, uh, a tough matchup. I mean, but Josh Jacobs really had a monster game, uh, averaged seven yards a carry, had 154 yards rushing. That's like the season total against the Chiefs run defense. So it is a, uh, a little bit concerning to see him running through tackles. Uh, there were other guys as well, uh, and Jacobs, you know, broke a couple tackles receiving as well. So, um, what do you, what do you equate the the reason for the poor tackling performance this week? You know, it could be a matter of being in between two games where you really are bringing, you know, you really have that kind of on your schedule circled, right? Uh, the Bucks game and the Bills game. You know, I do think it's fascinating that 
it's it's two of the rare times that the Chiefs are ever going to be betting underdogs. You know, they're already underdogs against the Bills. We've seen that. And, and you know, it, it's it's not that the Chiefs look at the, the betting odds. It's it's that you can feel, you know, the you know, you can feel the fact that the, the media is is looking you as an underdog going into a game and all that to say this Raiders game happened to be perfect, you know, sandwiched right between them. And I do think there could be a, you know, some mental lack of focus because of that. And I think you saw it on offense to start. I think that's why they had such a slow start. And I think the defensive effort might've been that because I don't think the run defense was a fluke, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the season, right? I think they have played really well against the run. So that's why I don't want to come in here and say, Oh, well now they're, you know, not, you know, now they're not playing well, uh, you know, not good against the run right now. They're playing worse. So was it all a fluke? No, I don't think so. I just think it was a bad effort game. And, I, you know, it's hard to know exactly why. But my guess would be that maybe there's some looking ahead and maybe, you know, just kind of it's hard to get up uh, for that, you know, with that energy. And it's hard to match the desperation energy that the Raiders had last night. So, you know, it, it is a tough kind of task to have that energy uh, each and every game. Fair enough. Well, let's get to some stats of the week. We've talked. Uh, over the last few weeks about, you know, some, some big numbers and some interesting stats. The first one that jumped out at me this week was from Field Yates on Twitter. Following last night's win, the Chiefs are now 12-9, and nine, which is a 571 winning percentage, with Patrick Mahomes as their starting quarterback, of course, when they face a deficit of 10 points or more. <laughs> That's since 2018. In that same stretch, all other quarterbacks are 156 an 873 <laughs> or a 152 winning percentage when trailing by 10 points. So Patrick Mahomes accounts for about uh, 40% <laughs> uh, better winning percentage uh, as compared to yeah. his peers when the Chiefs are down uh, by 10. So definitely, as he points out, no lead is safe versus the Chiefs. It was good to see them, like you said, get that their first big comeback of the season uh, out of the way and show that they can still win when a lot of things go the wrong way. Uh, I think you really saw Mahomes rally the troops. Mahomes just kept coming, kept fighting, uh, really, you know, in some ways uh, drug the team along with him, uh, including the offensive line and others. I think this was a, a strong leadership game for Mahomes as well as a performance game. Yeah, I think it's it's it, it can get underrated or under talked about, but I, I I do think it's important for the newcomers on this team to to kind of experience these last couple weeks. And and you know we've seen Mahomes, we've seen Kelsey, we've seen a lot of these guys play these kind of games where obviously the Bucks game is is just an explosion of offense. They look as good as as ever. The coaching staff's all on it. And then this game is is, is sort of that comeback fashion game that you know we we've seen from Mahomes. You know you just mentioned it. Twelve wins. I mean we've seen this game happen plenty of times. You know, we've seen them down 24 nothing. So it's just it is important, I think, for guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, even the rookies, all of them to kind of experience this, too. Right. It's new for them. You know, it, just because we've seen Mahomes do it doesn't mean these these other guys haven't done it. So now they're kind of getting that experience under their belt and, you know, kind of building that belief like, you know, for the next time it happens. Hey, we can do this. It's, it's no sweat. We can come. We can overcome this. You got a stat for us, Ron? Well, you know, Stags, I'm, I'm sitting here. We we completely buried the lead a little bit. Um Stat of the week, Travis Kelsey has four touchdowns. <laughs> uh, four touchdowns, uh, all coming within 10 yards of the end zone. Um, for the game, he has seven catches for 25 yards. <laughs> and so outside of his touchdowns, he had three catches for 11 yards for the entire game. And then he had those touchdowns, obviously. You know, it, it speaks to and, – and you know how funny it is, this comeback, right? What happened in that Houston game, the 24-0 comeback? Travis Kelsey has three touchdowns all in the red zone, all close to the goal line. So it is kind of that theme when, you know, when Mahomes is kind of, you know, needing to, to make the plays, right, when he's in that mindset that, like, look, you know, it's do or die now. He's looking the way of Kelsey, especially around the end zone. And so I, I do think it was a good sign, you know, to see that, you know, between the 20s or, you know, before the 20, I should say, Kelsey's the attention on Kelsey was opening things up for pe other people, right? MVS had 90 yards. McCole had 73 yards. Juju had a few uh, tough catches, but then once I got into the red zone, it, it, there's only so much you can do to take away Mahomes and Kelsey and defenses. The defense just wasn't able to, to take, you know, to, to contain him, I should say. So shout out Travis Kelsey four touchdowns. It's the uh, most, any player, mo uh, fourth, the most any player has done in a game since 2019. It's like the only third time a Chiefs player has done it. The most on Monday Night Football. Bunch of records for Kelsey. So shout out him. Even on a game he's bottled for most of the time. 
he still somehow puts up a historic, you know, never before before seen performance. Just has that knack for getting open, man. It, it is still a, a pleasure to watch after all these years and uh, 33 years old, still getting it done. Uh, hopefully there's several more good years of Kelsey and Mahomes together on the field because it really is a joy to watch. It's just, it just feels automatic. Um, another fun stat, speaking of that, those four touchdown passes, Han Solo actually pointed this out. Mahomes passed Troy Aikman with 166 career touchdowns but he but he did it Mahomes did in his 68th game it took Troy Aikman 165 games to get his 165 touchdowns so in almost 100 fewer games Mahomes passes one of the all-time great yeah no that that is funny um you know it, it makes sense right I, you know it's not super surprising you know Aikman playing in the era he did and then playing in the offense he did with Emmett Smith and, and and those guys but it is hilarious just because Aikman obviously poked fun at him you know a few years ago um oh yeah I, I wish Joe Buck would have would have kind of yeah I wish I wish Joe Buck would have kind of you know made fun of him for it a little bit on the broadcast but they missed that opportunity they don't they don't like to have fun I guess yeah, how often do you get your yourself passed uh, in the record books while you're calling the game? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you had another fun Kelsey stat on that one of his touchdowns, right? Yes, and it was from Next Gen Stats, um, and I am pulling it up here because I obviously put it away because that's how great I am at, at prepping um, for these podcasts. Um, but I'm pulling it up here. So Travis Kelsey... Um, you know, he had the four touchdowns. Actually, three of them came on the same route, these crossing routes in, in the red zone. But I also thought this was funny, and this came on the third touchdown. Next Gen Stats had Travis Kelsey at 52-point yards uh, traveled from snap to score on that one where he, you know, runs back across the field. It's the most dif- distance traveled on a touchdown play from under 10 yards since 2018. So four years ago is the last time we saw somebody run as far as Kelsey did on that touchdown that close to the goal line. So it's just shout out Travis and Mahomes doing their thing again. You know, that was a broken play. You know, he, he just finds Kelsey pivoting back against the grain of the defense. And Kelsey gets it done. Shout out also McColl on that play. He had a great block, and Travis shattered him out um, in the postgame. McColl, yeah, McColl, McColl did have a big game. Fighting in the end zone. He, he Really, again, a gritty performance by McColl Hardman. Fighting through a heel injury. Made some good catches. Had, a, had one run uh, that was successful. Uh a couple of plays came up hobbling in between and, and came right back after it. So uh, good effort by, by that guy to get the job done. Speaking of get the job, getting the job done. How about the chiefs versus the AFC West? Our guy, Matt McMullen pointed out since 2016, the chiefs are now 33 and five against their division in that same time span. Every other NFL team has at least 10 losses. Um, just complete dominance over their division. And this year was supposed to be the year that the the AFC West was the greatest division in the history of the NFL. Uh, and, and somehow when you look at the standings, that looks exactly like it has every other year. <laughs> well, the funny thing too is, is, you know, both AFC West teams they played so far had chances to come into Arrowhead and get the win and, and, and argue, you know, some people would argue, probably should have won you know both games and and the chiefs find a way to kind of you know sneak out both of them and and just you know send both fan bases probably into you know hair pulling mode so shout out the chiefs for continuing to make life miserable for the rest of the afc west well with that it's about time to go to break hear from our sponsors we'll come back with your questions from twitter after this but ron our weekly tradition now do you have a would you rather for me yeah, Sags, I'm just curious. If you happen to be a, a cameraman walking along the, the sidelines of Arrowhead after a great Chiefs victory, would you rather uh, you know, get a fat check or, or maybe some season tickets for the Raiders? What would you rather get when Devontae Adams shoves you to the ground in, in, in emotional distress after he loses the game in, in bad sports fashion? Just curious what you'd rather have uh, you know, in, that, in that deal. So we'll get your answer on the other side. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, Out of Structure Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. By the way, make sure you rate and review not only our show, but the whole rest of the network. There's so many good podcasts out there right now. Uh, but we've got some business to attend to, Ron. We were just talking about a would you rather. And if I remember correctly, it was if I were the cameraman, <laughs> would I rather have cash or season tickets for the Raiders? My answer is you'd have to give me a bucket of cash in order for me to take the season tickets <laughs> for the Raiders. So, no, I, I'm going cash every time there. If, if you really want to go see a Raiders game, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that's not the hottest ticket in, in Vegas right now. Right, yeah. Maybe I should have went with, you know, another attraction on the Strip instead of uh, season tickets to the Raiders. But, you know, just just some sort of perk uh, for getting – just pushed to the ground in, in savage fashion by Adams after that game. And he apologized. And, you know, you do see another angle. And it, he kind of – the camera guy does kind of walk in front of him out of nowhere. So I see where maybe there's just like a – he kind of reacts all of a sudden. But it did look pretty bad. I mean, it looked like he was he was just, you know, being a bad sport at the end of a game. Uh, but, you know, that, that guy's got to get something out of that, right? He, he, he's got to get something out of that. Well, speaking of guys who are trying to get something out of a, out of a game – Don Julio asked about Orlando Brown. Did he just fumble the largest bag of cash that he'll ever be offered? Uh, Black Elf also asked, is Orlando Brown Jr. even worth the second franchise tag? Um, not the best start to the season for Brown. I, I understand he's battling through an injury. He's he's stayed on the field, but maybe his, his feet aren't as quick as, as you'd like to see him at this point. Yeah, that's always been the thing with Brown since he's gotten here, right? It, we know that he's going to struggle against speed rush. He's going to struggle with foot quickness. This offseason, I was one of those people maybe noticing that his feet looked a little quicker. He looked a little lighter, right, in training camp. And and I do think there were some moments earlier this season where we saw that. And, you know, I was someone that didn't really think he's been playing as bad as maybe, you know, a lot of Chiefs fans had thought. But you got to say this game, he, he definitely struggled quite a bit and it definitely impacted uh, for sure the first, uh, you know, first part of the game for the Chiefs. Chandler Jones just was absolutely beating him like a drum. You know, Chandler Jones was pretty much getting anything he wanted around the outside. Um, also, you know, uh, you know, playing him pretty well, you know, just with counter moves and stuff, kind of just playing him like a fiddle and pass protection at first. And, and you know, so I get the, the frustration with that. Chandler Jones is a future Hall of Fame kind of player, though, you know, maybe not for sure Hall of Famer, but a, a really good player you know, an all-time kind of player. And he hasn't been that good this year, but he is still really good. But it, it was pretty evident that Orlando Brown didn't didn't play that well. And and it is it is kind of the stressful part about seeing this and, and seeing maybe how he played against the Chargers, which, you know, I didn't think he played that bad, but there were some struggling moments. The AFC West is full of these playmakers, and the AFC West is full of these edge guys that are going to give Brown trouble. And that's where you maybe factor that in and, and think of, are we really going to lock up a, a, a left, left tackle that we can clearly see struggles against the, you know, in the six times we have to play these dominant edge rushers against the divisional opponents. So that's where, you know, you can look into the contract situation and, and start questioning it a little bit. Obviously we have a long time to go. So I, I'm one of those people that's, that it's just hard to talk about it until we have a full season this year to see how he progresses, how he plays the entire year. But 
it, it does not bode well for him, Stags. What, how are you feeling about Brown after, you know, kind of what we've seen through the first quarter of the year? Yeah, I can't argue with that. I've been a I've been a defender of Brown in the past. I think he's somebody who's been relatively consistent. Um, yeah, he's got his weaknesses here and there. But my argument is always, and my thought process is always about replacement. Uh, you know, how, how do you replace a guy like that? And if, if, if you get to the point where you feel like you can do just as well in the draft or, you know, somebody off the street or the, if there's somebody actually available that you see as a potential upgrade, then, then great. Um, if it's the way it is now, I mean, I think in this offseason, there wasn't a better option for the Chiefs. Uh, so keeping him around was the right move. Offering him a long-term deal and, and apparently holding the line on the value was probably the right move. Yeah. So it's really just going to be a, a matter of, yeah, how does he finish out the season and who else is available? So Black Elf also asked about, do you, do you see the Chiefs um, investing early round draft capital in, in a left tackle? Um, and I haven't had a chance to look much at the offensive line draft class, but I've, I've heard rumors that it's not uh, the strongest year for offensive linemen and that you may end up getting, you know, a, uh, a the type of player where the Chiefs are going to be drafting that right. you ordinarily maybe not even take in the first round. So it – it really just comes down to what are your other options? And, and he might still be the best option for this team next season. And if that's the case, then you absolutely tag him again or, or try again to get some deal done. Uh, but I would assume that they're going to keep their eyes open and, and just watch that market and see if something else uh, presents itself. Yeah, it's a little bit of a uh, you know double double-edged sword because if he does perform you know not as good the rest of this season – you know, I, I feel like he still has that confidence where he's not going to want to settle for, you know, like a low, you know, he's not going to want to say, OK, I had I didn't play well this year. Let me sign to a cheap deal so I can stay here. Right. I, I feel like he has that self-confidence that like, hey, I, I know I'm one of the best left tackles in the game. I'm still young, all that. So that's where, you know, it, it gets a little, you know, tough because, you know, if even if he plays bad, it's going to be hard to, you know, franchise tag him even because that's a lot of money when you're second franchise tagging him. It goes up even more on the on the one year. You know, so it's going to be a tough decision, but, you know, we got a long way to go before we need to make it. Um, it's just it, this this game reminds me that this isn't the last game he's going to see Chandler Jones and the, and the Chargers game wasn't the last time he's going to see Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. And, you know, potentially, depending on how those teams play it, you know, those guys might be playing for a few years there. So that's where, it, you know, seeing Brown kind of get locked up is and, and knowing that you have six games against guys that are going to give him trouble might you know, make you think about it a lot more than, than, you know, maybe if it was a division full of guys with weak edge rush groups. Right. I mean, that, that's all, that's all this game kind of made me think of. Yeah. I also think a little bit about do the chiefs just believe that they can get by <clears throat> with less at tackle because Mahomes is so elusive. Mm-hmm. He's does such a nice job of avoiding sacks and playing under pressure. You know, maybe they, they feel like um, Brown might be, good enough the counter argument to that though i think is the fact that they went out and tried to get trent williams um if if they if they were willing to settle for for mediocre at tackle then they're not in the bidding war for the best left tackle in the league yeah no that's a good point but you 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 are right about mahomes you know helping his offensive tackles he definitely did that this game more uh, more as the game went on because you know andrew wiley is another guy that you know maybe didn't have the greatest game um, you know, uh, blocking Max Crosby, his old college teammate, gave up a couple sacks. But you mentioned it, too, and I noticed it last night. But, you know, there, there is something to note about Wiley not having the, tr- the help of Trey Smith, right? In this game, Trey Smith was out with his ankle injury and, and is obviously, you know, probably going to be uh, good to go for the Bills game. But I think they were just being precautionary with it. And that's the thing. When you have what should be quality depth with Nick Allegretti, I think you should feel uh, safe keeping Trey Smith, you know, ready until he's 100 percent. Right. But. Allegretti didn't have the greatest game. And, and so that's where, you know, then the flaws show and, and Crosby on that inside spin move, man. Last year it was Trey Smith pancaking him when he did that. This year it was Allegretti not getting there in time and it turned into a sack. So that's, that's where, you know, the offensive line, the offensive tackle, you know, weren't great, but Mahomes definitely as the game went on, helped them out more and more. And so did the play calling. And so that's where, to your point, even in a game where it looked like the offensive tackles were getting obliterated, the Chiefs put up 30 points and win. So maybe that's to your point where they, they don't feel like they need to pay big money at tackle. 
and and continuity does uh, account for something for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, next question from Thomas Ramirez: How good can this defense be with a healthy Trent McDuffie and a Willie Gay? Yeah, Gay will be nice to have back. Although Darius Harris has filled in admirably, I saw he was one of your winners uh, last night, and I and I do think he's he's played well um, in Gay's spot. But Gay just brings another level of athleticism. And then obviously McDuffie, I, I think, is is going to be a well. Um, it's going to be a much needed, you know, recover or bring back uh, for the group. So I just again I mentioned earlier, but I'm really curious to see how they handle Fenton once McDuffie's back. So that's the one thing I'm watching with that. Absolutely, I think you know the way this cornerback room is constructed. They really were counting on McDuffie to be that right, sticky right. coverage guy. <clears throat> with Snead being able to do all the different stuff that he does, you really need at least one guy back there that you can put on a receiver and, and have a pretty good feeling that they're going to be in the hip pocket uh, of that guy going forward. McDuffie is going to make a huge difference there. I still think Willie Gay is going to make a difference over Harris. Harris is a, a solid player, but not not awesome in coverage. Um, right. Came downhill, got a sack this week, led the, led the team in tackles. So uh, certainly makes you feel better about the depth of the linebacker room, but they are missing McDuffie, I think, quite a bit. Uh, to that point, Jake Wilson asked, which two injured Chiefs would you most like to see back in the Bills game? McDuffie, Dana, Butker, Niang, or Trey Smith? Pick two. Well, I'll, I'll start with Dana because it's for sure him. And, and this leads into another point from this game. Han Solo actually asks it as a question. Plans on replacing Wharton now that he has torn an ACL, which is what happened with Tershawn Wharton last night. Unfortunately, and so the reason Dana uh, needs to be back is that he is that other pass rush um, interior guy on those dime downs. They actually had Malik Herring playing it last night with both Dana and Wharton out. And Malik Herring is more of a traditional defensive end, although I thought he could be more in and out too out of college. But all that to say, Dana is for sure the guy. And then Butker's got to be the other one, right? I mean, you know, you, you, you want to see Butker back for that Bills game. Bills are going to put up points. You know, I, uh, no matter how good you feel about the defense, the Bills are going to put up points. So every point matters next week. And Butker... Definitely, if we haven't learned it by now, he def- we definitely know now he makes a difference uh, for the Chiefs. Yeah, kick- kickers are, are valuable too. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. definitely keep on this list. I'm going to say Butker for sure and, and McDuffie. I mean, as, as we just discussed, I think yeah. his, his coverage ability against a really dynamic uh, Bills passing offense, it, it's just going to be uh, really, really important. Um, Hodor asks, are we worried that – Mahomes and the receivers have just not been able to connect on the deep ball yet. And specifically mentions Hardman and MVS, who I think we both noticed actually had pretty decent games with some downfield plays this week. Um, But I think maybe the question gets to the fact that they haven't, uh, they haven't thrown those deep touchdowns, right? There haven't been, you know, any, any uh, long scores out of the the wide receivers uh, yet. Obviously, it's something we were very spoiled over the last few years to have, but um, Mahomes just a little bit off still with some of those uh, go routes and 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 real uh, deep you know post patterns, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, we we remember the MVS uh, overthrow in the Colts game that looked like a touchdown if he connects on it, and then there's obviously the MVS uh, seam shot against the Bucks that was beautiful, and it turned into a really big play about you know 40 yards down the field. And you're right. You mentioned it. I mean, McCole and MVS had had a really good games complimenting, um, you know, uh, or I should say going off of, you know, the attention on Kelsey because the Raiders were very much, you know, putting a lot of attention on Kelsey, um, obviously, before the red zone. <laughs> um, but McCole and MVS had, let's see, six catches combined that went at least 14 yards. And, and, all, and, and none of them were just, you know, catch at the line of scrimmage and run for that much. A lot of them were downfield, at least in the intermediate areas of the field passes. And so I, I see what he's saying because we're still not seeing, you know, as much of the actual, yeah, 70 yard bomb deep shots, like you mentioned. Um, and I, and I do think there is something too. last night, the pass rush was just not allowing them to have the time, right. They really did have to accelerate the clock, get the ball out quicker. And that's kind of been the case in a few games um, to be honest with you. Um, so that's, that's kind of the main part of this, I think. Um, and also the, the, the defenses still do quite a bit, play some cover too, try to try to limit the chief vertical stuff, but they are getting more opportunities than they have in the past. A lot more man coverage, a lot more, uh, you know, the Raiders blitz a few times last night and actually beat the Chiefs on them. So the defenses are taking more risks this year. And so 
at some point I do think we'll see some deep shots kind of connect a little more, but, but for now, you know, I think they're doing enough with, with what they're being given. I would say the last few weeks. How about chatting chiefs question here? When the Chiefs staff, when will the chief staff start using Burton and Saunders in short yardage? Why keep going to Clyde Edwards Alaire in short yardage when it's not working? I was laughing this week a little bit because last week we complained about Jarek McKinnon getting a short yardage uh, try. This week he converts at least two that I remember. Uh, there, there were uh, one one yard to go. So the Chiefs in short yardage has been a little bit of an issue this year. Yeah. Uh, the Burton-Saunders combination on the goal line was fun a couple weeks back, and, and I do hope that we see more out of that look going forward. What else do they need to do to, to get better in short yardage? And is, is – Clyde deficient in that area or, or is it really just more of a matter of, of the timing and the play call and the blocking? Yeah, I, I do think Clyde can struggle sometimes with just putting his foot in the ground and getting vertical and getting the most out of, of the, the tiny seam that's there, right? Instead of trying to wait from one to, to open up and especially in short yardage, you can't mess around. You got to hit the, the hole as hard as you can. I think Jarek does seem to be a little better at that. And, and so maybe this is where I should, uh, you know, do my public apology to the people that listen to me on Twitter. Uh, I, I thought this was going to be an Isaiah Pacheco game for these kind of moments, right? These short yardage moments. He only gets two snaps all game. And I told the people on Twitter to take him uh, anytime touchdown on the DraftKings Sportsbook. So uh, I'm not refunding your bets. So uh, don't come to me with that because um, I lost money, too. But um, all that to say is, is I think Pacheco is the guy for that. And I think they, I thought we started to maybe see that last week where they trust him more on the, the power runs under center stuff. But maybe I think McKinnon had that big run and, and got hot and they just leaned on him. And, and Clyde's the one guy that doesn't leave the field because he's the pass down guy now. So I, I think, I don't, I never know what to think about this running back group. They change every week, but it does seem like they're riding the hot hand on the ground and Clyde's going to get the pass work. So if, 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 McKinnon's the hot guy on the ground. He's going to get the work over Pacheco. And uh, I, I think if he's running hard like that, he should. And, and, it, and it looked good last night. Yeah, I like the creativity, you know, of this team in short yardage. I do think that there's a couple of plays that are starting to get played out. Uh, the shovel pass to Kelsey. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I think, has, has been sniffed out pretty pretty quickly, pretty instantly. Uh, I did like the the tight end quarterback sneak i think that that was a nice wrinkle they'll continue to add new wrinkles and and you'll see some fun stuff i i do hope that colin saunders gets the ball on his hand yes. uh, at some point this season uh that 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 would just be fun to see everybody loves a big man touchdown so uh you know we'll we'll hold our breath for that one but otherwise yeah they, they've got pieces that can work on short yardage they just have to uh they just have to mix it up and and call the right one at the right time this week, who needs short yardage running backs when you got Travis Kelsey on the goal line? <laughs> True. That's a good point. Uh, man, you know, it, it is, you know, obviously worth reiterating that Trey Smith was out, and that does not help uh, move, get movement up front, right? That's true. He, he is your short yardage blocking. I think he's yeah. the guy that they follow on, on most of those runs, and, and he ends up moving people out of the way. So, yes. Well, with that, let's, let's take a look forward this week. This is a, a massive matchup coming up. Uh, the Chiefs against the Bills, arguably the best two teams in the NFL, certainly the best two in the AFC, uh, face off in what could be a preview of, of what's to come. Uh, there'll certainly be lots of memories from the epic matchups last year. Um, what are your thoughts initially on how how's Buffalo playing so far? What are some things that we need to watch out for in this matchup? Yeah, it's it's a big game, man. I'm excited. I, I actually, with the long kind of weekend and, you know, the Chiefs playing on Monday night, kind of having that extra day, I took a lot of time Sunday night to kind of look at the Bills. Um, I didn't really watch too much of the Steelers game uh, to learn much because they just completely obliterated Pittsburgh before they could, you know, Pittsburgh could even blink. And that's the kind of team they can be against bad teams, you know, and we saw it last year. And it's actually kind of why they built up this juggernaut reputation, I, I think, is because they do beat up on the bad teams and, and it, and it inflates their point totals. It inflates their, you know, their point differential, you know, last year they really had a weak schedule. And I think that was a something that going into the playoffs, a lot of people noted, but they have proven, you know, their offense at least has proven for sure that they are one of the elite offenses, um, you know, with Josh Allen, they had a perfect postseason last year and, and the chiefs happened to ruin it. And so that's where I'm going to start, man. This offense is, it's really going to give the chiefs a lot of trouble. And we, and, 
we should expect it, right? Let's not go into this game acting like we're going to hold Buffalo to, to 17 points or that, you know, we're the pass rush is going to overwhelm, you know, the, the weak spot of the, you know, the Bills offensive line, which is probably their weakest link. You know, I don't think their offensive line is great. I think it's, it's good enough. It's probably pretty average, but they don't really have a lot of talent um, at the offensive tackles either. You know, left tackle, right tackle are kind of average players. All that to say, though, they have the weapons, and they showed it off last week. You know, Gabe Davis had the two huge, long touchdowns, and we've seen that in Arrowhead, right? He beats Juan Thornhill last year over the top on, on a big, long play. It really is all about Josh Allen, man. He's been so good against the Blitz this year. He's been so good defeating pressure this year, getting the ball in the hands of his playmakers. You know, Stephon Diggs is a very similar to play, similar player to Devontae Adams, and so the, the Chiefs are going to have to – you know, maybe tweak their strategy on how to deal with those number one receivers if they don't want the same thing to happen like we saw with Adams this week. So that's the first key here, Stags, is just that the Chiefs defense is in for a huge game or, you know, a, a heck of a game. The, the Bills offense will spread it out, throw it all around the yard and 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 really attack the defensive backs that we just saw had a, a kind of a rough game. So that's where that's my first point of concern. Um, you know, how do you feel about that matchup right now? You know, thinking about it. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, you look at Gabe Davis just averaged 57 yards a catch uh, this week. <laughs> when you go three catches and you end up with 171 yards and two touchdowns, uh, that's nuts. But he was the guy that really burned the Chiefs last year as well, and that they had a really hard time covering. I, I just had this feeling that it's going to be another shootout. So throw all your defensive stats out the window. You know, don't expect a uh, – a stellar defensive performance. Just hope the defense makes plays when they need them. Right. And if they get turnovers, if they get, you know, timely stops, because it's good. It might be one of those games where one or two stops wins the football game for, for your team. Yeah. Josh Allen was on one this week, especially, you know, 424 passing yards, four touchdowns, but also another 42 yards rushing. Uh, he is such a threat when he tucks the ball and runs. Nobody d- runs design runs, so their their star quarterback like Buffalo does, and so that in the past has been a big weakness of the Chiefs. I've I've been really critical of the way that they defended running quarterbacks in the past. So yeah. uh, watch out for those design runs and for those big receivers getting downfield because it's not just one receiver. You focus your attention on on Diggs and Gabe Davis is going to eat you alive, and and vice yeah. versa. Well, yeah, and they had rookie fifth-round pick Khalil Shakur look like a starter all of a sudden last week, too. He was in for the for the injured Isaiah McKenzie. But you're right about the the passing offense and, and, and Allen's scrambles, or, or just the design runs, too. But I do want to touch on his scrambles. You know, a lot of times what they do is they just spread out. They'll go in empty sets, what the Chiefs like to do, too. It looks like the Chiefs' offense a lot of times. And then when Allen drops back, you know, if you have that light box, you're spread out as well. He'll take what they give you. He's averaging about nine yards per carry on scrambles this year which is, you know, not a great number um, to hear because I do think, you know, the way to defend the Bills defense is probably to, or the Bills offense is probably to, you know, not send a lot of blitzes, not let him beat you, you know, beat them, beat you on big plays. But Allen takes what's he, what, you, what you give him. And if you're not, if you play, if you tackle like they did against the Raiders, he's going to get more than nine yards of scramble because he's that hard to tackle. So I think that is a, a very key point of this, too, is, is not only the design runs, but the, the scrambles. Um, you know, Allen's scrambles um, are a huge part of, of his game. But Yeah, their running backs haven't been a big threat, uh, yeah. even though they've got some names there. Singletary, Cook, and Moss, you know, combined for, what, 80 yards last week. Um, the, they're, they've got a decent yards per carry average because I, I think largely because they are spreading them out so much. They are facing light boxes in a just a yeah. deadly passing offense. But so I I think the Chiefs, you know, can can hold up against those running backs. It's really just can they get a stop or two against the the passing offense? What what have you seen from the Bills defense? Because it seems like they're playing pretty well as as well. Yeah, and they're a very well coached defense. They're very, you know, they do have talent, right? And and the scariest part about the Bills defense compared to last year is that they've they've had that depth of the defensive line. And now they add Von Miller, who looks like vintage Von Miller, who looks like the all-pro edge rusher that we all have have grown to love to hate here in Kansas City. Um, you know, obviously the longtime Denver Bronco. So that's that main key point to their defense is, you know, last year they didn't have that top-tier edge rusher, that top-tier pass rusher, right? They had they relied on depth and freshness, you know, guys to be fresh at you know end of the game. 
but it just never it didn't result in you know enough pressure or sacks on Mahomes in that in those moments right late in the game last year. Von Miller can make those plays in those third down situations, so the Chiefs really have to key on him, especially as we mentioned with these offensive tackles. I mean, that Von Miller is the exact type of person to take advantage of Orlando Brown's weaknesses. So that's the key point there. Their secondary is very banged up, though. They have a lot of injuries in the secondary. You know, uh, Micah Hyde's out for the season. Jordan Poyer is banged up with a neck injury. Um, he, he's been in and out of practice. Um, their cornerbacks have been going through the, you know, the ringer with injuries. So that is where the Chiefs can attack. And so that's where if the Chiefs can kind of, you know, kind of you know, neutralize Von Miller to an extent, I do see them having, you know, good success against the Bills defense. I think they have the offensive firepower. And, and, and we'll see an Andy Reid A-plus game plan, you know, knowing the opponent, that I do think the Chiefs offense will be able to do its thing against, against this team. We may see some disruption from Von Miller like we saw uh, last night with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, but the Chiefs offense always finds a way to kind of overcome those, those edge rushers, it seems like, and I bet they do it against the Bills as well. So, I, I, like you said, I think it's going to be a shootout. What they, they can overcome some pressure – what they haven't been always great at overcoming is, is drops. And, and I think if that really just gets to the, this receiving group, it's been an interesting season for chiefs receivers uh, from a wide receiver front. Uh, we had high expectations coming in uh, week one made you think that the chiefs were going to be dynamic and spreading the ball around that all of the receivers looked good in, in week one. Uh, since then, it, it hasn't always been that way. I think this is going to be one of those games where you'll see who's got the chemistry with Mahomes, who comes through when they need a play, because, you know, again, no, no Tyreek Hill. You've got to be able to rely on Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, this week he had eight targets and only three catches. Uh, that, that's not something that's going to fly in, in, in really big games. Um, you, you've got to be able to rely on him to move the sticks. You got to be able to, to have MVS, uh, make a big play or two to keep defensive on de- defenses honest. Um, you're going to really need all hands on deck when it comes to receivers. So maybe Sky Moore continues his, his, uh, very gradual upwards trajectory this week. Um, but hope so. I'm going to be really watching those receivers to see if they, if they're ready to make a play on the biggest stage possible. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point, man. I, I think Mahomes, you know, he's locked in for these big games. Andy Reid's locked in for these big games. And they'll scheme up stuff. But with the way the Bills' offense is probably going to score and probably going to put pressure on the Chiefs' offense to score, at some point the receivers themselves are going to have to make the plays and not rely on the, the play to be schemed up themselves. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see the, the receivers step up. Now, the, it looks like the, the run defense of the Bills has been pretty solid. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if, if the Chiefs can get back to the type of balance they had against the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. uh, even in a shootout type of game. Maybe that requires the, the Chiefs to get on the board early uh, in order for them to feel like they can, they can be that balanced as opposed to getting behind. But I think yeah. you don't want to get one-dimensional against Buffalo. It's going to be a shootout either way. But, hey, a couple of years back, Clyde had a monster game against the Bills. Uh, I know it's a different team now, but – you think they can establish the run and be balanced as a way to sort of offset um, the, the the matchup a little bit? Yeah, no, I think that's what they want to do, right? I, I definitely think that's what they want to do. Um, although I will say the, this Bills defense in the past, you know, you mentioned that big Clyde game. A lot of the reason why they've had success on the run or against the Bills with the run is that the Bills tend to, you know, sit in these very static, um, you know, cover two zones, trusting their playmakers in the secondary to squeeze the space as much as possible, make it as hard as possible to beat the zones they're in because they do have a lot of good talent in the back end when they're all healthy, right? They have two all-pro safeties. They have Trey White. Excuse me. They have the the two linebackers, but a lot of them are, are banged up and not feeling good. So I do think we could see maybe the Bills defense getting a little riskier rather than, you know, maybe st- sitting in those soft zones maybe trying to create a little more chaos trying to you know simulate what we may kind of saw with the Raiders last night the Raiders did stop a few third downs with the blitz and, and Mahomes just wasn't able to overcome it right so I do think you could see the Bills maybe get a little more aggressive with their defensive game plan and so maybe that's where that run game you know maybe it's not as opened up because they're not just sitting in those zone coverages but that may open up the pass game even more 
because, you know, the Bills maybe risk a few times and the Chiefs catch them in, in, in bad plays. But that's kind of speculation because the Bills defense has been very known for kind of staying in their cover two looks and playing, you know, playing out of that. They don't like to get into one high a lot. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what Leslie Frazier, the defense coordinator, does. But we've seen teams kind of switch up how they defend Mahomes this year. And I think maybe that could be a way the Bills change it up and, and try to confuse the Chiefs. Any final thoughts on, on Bills Chiefs or Raiders Chiefs as we wrap this thing up here on the Out of Structure podcast? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's just this, these two Arrowhead games, you know, they're, they're really important, right? You know, the, it was really important to see the Chiefs beat the Raiders and kind of put the stiff arm, the division rival, into the ground. You know, they're one and four. It's going to be really hard for them to get back out of that. You know, that, they kind of took care of that division rival, right? And, and they're ho- they'll hope to take care of the rest of them as the season goes. And they need to kind of maybe take care of, you know, if, if they want to not only win the division, but, you know, somehow get home field advantage. This is it right here. I mean, you know, it's, it's coming in week six. You know, we, we have a long season to go, but the Bills aren't going to lose many games. And the Chiefs, you know, it, we've seen that, you know, they're going to have some stinkers. So don't have your stinker against the Bills. Win this game. You know, put everything you can into this game. The bye week is only on the other side of the following week. So win, you know, anything to do to win this game, it's super important. Get yourself in position to maybe get the one seed if things roll right for you the rest of the season. And so that's where I, I really want to see maybe their best effort of the season, even more than the Bucks, um, which is a lot to ask for. But I, I would like to see their best effort of the season on Sunday. You have to think that they've had this game circled from the offseason, from the get-go. Yeah. It feels like more of a rivalry game now than the division games when they face the Bills. It just feels like this is the the two heavyweights uh, going going head-to-head, and it, it just – is going to be you're just expecting epic things to happen. You oh know, yeah, uh, thirteen seconds. Uh, hopefully, uh, is, is not uh, necessary this time around. But uh, it just goes to show you that anything can happen in this type of matchup. Uh, expect uh, the unexpected, but expect it to be a a shootout and, and a fun game. Uh, and, and again, really have that feel of a rivalry playoff atmosphere. You know, for for week six of the NFL season, I don't know what else you can ask for. We'll be looking forward to this all week. There'll be plenty of coverage on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, getting you ready for this Chiefs-Bills matchup. Uh, So stay tuned. Thank you for spending the time with us today. Make sure you rate and review. Follow all of Ron's content on ArrowheadPride.com because this is a a, basically a full-time job for for Ron now. He's putting (laughs) stuff out left and right. Uh, But we appreciate you all. And we'll talk to you next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.